Mardi Gras was last week, Mardi, Tuesday, Mardi Gras, all around the world and known by many names. While not celebrated throughout the United States, many traditionally French cities and regions in America have notable celebrations. New Orleans is the most widely known. The name Mardi Gras comes for, from, is French for Fat Tuesday, reflecting, as this children's story noted, the practice of indulging in rich fatty foods before the fasting, prayer, and penitence associated with Lent, which started on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, March 2nd. Historically, people would spend Fat Tuesday and in some areas, the days leading up to it, indulging in foods and behaviors they would abstain from during the upcoming 47 days of Lent. Would meat and dairy products spoil if left for so long? Why chance it? Let's eat it all up this coming week. That was pretty much the attitude. The occasion became one big celebration, carnival, a word derived from the Latin for to remove meat. Now, Mardi Gras is celebrated differently in different places. In Rio de Janeiro, Carnival, as they call it, is five days of music, dancing, parades, and street parties. In New Orleans, Carnival season is even longer, beginning on Epiphany, the 12th and last day of Christmas, and running this year for almost two months. I mean... Reading that, I I remember going to New Orleans when I was 16 with my dad and saying, I think I want to go to Tulane. (laughs) And my dad saying, no way. Said, well, you can go, but if you want me to pay for it, yeah, (laughs) you're not going to school down there. So um, anyway, nowadays, these Mardi Gras celebrations have become separated from their religious origins and in some instances are not much more than lost weekends of Bacchanalian debauchery. Which brings me to the first theme I wish to explore this morning, and that is, I'm I'm really, it's kind of a potpourri, I'm talking about a different thing. Um, The dynamic and we've all seen it, of reckless abandon followed by repentance and self-discipline. And and maybe, you know, some of us in different stages or periods of our life have uh, been subsumed in that dynamic. Sometimes it goes the other way. Rigid discipline and focus all blithely put aside for the wild weekend in Las Vegas. The wild weekend is the lure, and the hangover is the kicker. Now, people, in fact, are quite variable, and and vary by the mood, by the season, and so on. We all fluctuate in our moods, and it is a good thing. As they say, my mother used to say, not that she really meant it, all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. She would have been preferred if I'd done more work and a little less play. But 
too much fluctuation and things begin to go bipolar as though, or as though you're living in a overly hyped, ever anxious world of reality TV. And that is not a good thing. So how to find the balance? Not sure. <laughs> but being aware is the first step. Know your body and your rhythms and the world well enough to know, oh, yeah, I kind of get blue in midwinter. Or um, I am um, agitated right now. Let's discontinue this conversation until later this, ha this evening kind of thing. Meanwhile, there are two recent developments that I also feel called to preach on. First, the reopening to on-site corporate worship for the first time in two years. Ta-da! I was going to ask the choir to, when I said that, to then burst into, ta-da! <laughs> All right, let's try it. Me, uh, first, reopening to on-site corporate worship for the first time in two years. This is great news for everyone, something we've all missed a lot and something we'll be celebrating, if we're able to, throughout the upcoming weeks of spring and summer. And, and, and I'll be celebrating. I mean, I can't tell you that first year especially, the sanctuary was empty. There was a bunch of junk in back and along this wall, chairs piled up, and... Uh, Eric and I would come in here in the ACE group, and it was, you know, we did our best of it. We're at church, isn't it beautiful, the out the window, but we're looking at, now, now we're looking at the faces of people we love. What could be finer? We'll also be celebrating in the upcoming weeks of spring and summer, we'll also be celebrating, some more joyfully than others, I suppose, the conclusion of my four years of developmental ministry among you. It has been an honor and a challenge to serve here. The honor should be obvious. Beautiful facility, distinguished predecessors, helpful, hardworking staff, and many, many wonderful, good people. The challenges have been pretty easily identifiable, too. When I arrived, disputation, distrust, disequilibrium, all very distressing. And for some, the church had become a place in this environment, not of refuge and restoration, um, of inspiration, but of provocation and pain, at least for a time. Not that religion is supposed to shield a body from pain or refrain from provoking our conscience, our intelligence. Especially a Unitarian church like ours asks us to deliberately allow ourselves, choose to be provoked, and thereby become the best people we can be. Not only through provocation, also through longing, also through will, but church is not only about healing. 
It's also about goosing people into action to grow, as we put it, becoming the best people we can be. In the words of William Ellery Channing, one of the founders, really, of Unitarianism, to grow in likeness to God. That is more to grow in sensitivity, breadth of consciousness, clarity of conscience, strength of character, purity of heart. When a church is roiled in controversy, it's good for a minister to practice a little judo. That is, don't throw your weight around and you're li- or you're likely to get thrown to the mat yourself. Better to find your personal inner balance um, and not be upset when folks come to tell you what you should be doing. Just um, ask them what's bothering them and how, and, and hear the unhidden need when they're talking to you about what's upsetting them. Use your own knowledge to of judo to remain balanced and not vulnerable to the feints and parries of your interlocutor. Let those wounds wound that still, let those still wounded by the controversy slowly let it go in an unpressured way. Laugh with them, have fun with them, commend them for the many wonderful things they contribute to church life and to our UU community. It's not their values they're letting go of. It's the controversy. It's the argument over. Let the values remain intact. They need them, and so do we. And doing this, however, it requires not taking it, the controversy, one's own position, personally. You can have, there's a difference between quarreling and arguing. One can argue lovingly. I mean, many families do that all the time. I disagree with you, but I adore you. And, you you know, how do we resolve this? Well, you can resolve any argument, but it's quarrels become taken personally and they get harder to sort through. It's sometimes very hard if you've been wounded to not take things personally. We help each other to do that, not take it personally, when we remember and do our best to live by our covenant. Since we've all been wounded at one time or another, let us agree to do our best to be our best. Millie Malarkey, Dennis Fleck, Elaine Cox, and Carrie Quello are part of the ministerial reflection team. It helps me think deeply about what my charge is to reflect on it and how I can best do it. And they've asked me to share some thoughts about what your former assistant minister, Reverend Barbara Wells Tenhove, said in 2019 regarding her years of service among you that it was far from joyful or relaxed, and that workplace stress made her cry on many nights of many weeks. And I must say, now I know what Barbara was talking about. I don't want to get into that today. In fact, I don't even want to get into it because I want to make it clearer to you that I think you are actually good people 
and you're, you've got a good church here, a really good one. But you need to be a little more repetitive and insistent about how happy you'd be if the minister and her or his family came to this or that event, etc. Invite the minister and their spouse to the symphony or the theater like Tom and Paula Doe did for Carol and me or to a ball game or a hike like dozens I've done with Mike Radow, our president. And if there are children, help make them feel welcome, and you are making their parents welcome even at the same time. Help them find the right neighborhood to live in and be understanding about the cost of home ownership in such an affluent community such as you, such that you can think creatively about how you might help the new minister secure a second mortgage or some other way to afford to live in this town that all of you are living in or nearby. For me, by far the greatest challenge of this ministry has been the novel coronavirus. Ugh. All of us have been felled by this contagion, and all of us are tickled that, we hope, the worst is over. It is great to look up at this beautiful sanctuary and see all of us together. And great to know that most likely our attendance will grow over the coming weeks and months. Hallelujah. And um, it's just it's just fabulous. Now, there's a third thing that I feel compelled. Um, I feel the need to hold up before you this morning and consider together as a worshiping community and to consider morally and spiritually. And that is Russia's brutal military invasion of Ukraine. That story by the Polish poet Herbert Zwigli Herbert. Um, you know, first they danced before idols, then in the Republic they had these civilized human anthropomorphic gods, then this little god of irony which the barbarians crushed up and seasoned their food with. And that's what it feels like the Russians have done to their longtime really brothers, the Ukrainians, against with whom they fought side by side at Stalingrad and throughout the Second World War, and now they're battering them. Horrors, simply horrors, such wanton belligerence, such crude, jackbooted authoritarianism. Former President Trump and his increasingly hateful and deluded, in his increasingly hateful and deluded state of mind, commended Mr. Putin's genius, savvy, smarts. But the rest of the world is lined up in support of the norms of civilized society. Admittedly, as a child of the Cold War, I was brought up to never trust the Russians, so I'm prejudiced. I admit it. But still, I never trusted Vladimir Putin's ruthless KGB-schooled skullduggery, and I predict he will eventually be exposed as a fraud and brought down, just like Nikolai Ceausescu, and just like Benito Mussolini, and just like Adolf Hitler. Autocratic tyrants, every one of them, 
and hateful, destructive, selfish men. Just like the people who look up to them. Useful idiots to Mr. Putin, but dangerous mayhem makers to the rest of the world. And all of us are brought down by this development, especially by how close our country came to having a person in the Oval Office who would have easily given Putin a free pass and who wanted to take America out of the transatlantic alliance, NATO. Heaven forbids. But what do we do now at the place we're in today? How do we support freedom and democracy in a country so far away and well within the historic sphere of Russian influence? I'm glad to read that the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee has vigorously condemned Putin's invasion and established an emergency relief fund to provide relief and to attend to needs and protect the rights of Ukrainian refugees. More information about how you can help those trapped and under bombardment will be in coming issues of the beacon. So you may stand by. What I am, what am I saying? about in this potpourri of service. (laughs) What am I saying? Here we are at a crucible, in between, an intention between indulgence and repentance, in between the joy of longed-for reconnection and the dread of an escalating war in the middle of Europe, led by a megalomaniac is balance in this situation even possible? Yes, as Amanda pointed out in her meditation, right here, right now. Let me be unequivocal. Balance is always possible, and it's always at our fingertips. Take a break. Sit still. Breathe. Play some beautiful music like we've heard this morning. Read a few lines of poetry, like the Polish poet I read that Mike read from. Watch favorite old movies. Call up your friends and family. Put energy into ESUC reopening and pay less attention to the nonstop news cycle. Dance with your partner and laugh with them and with your kids. Love always abides and abounds here in this lovely room and across this loved and cared-for campus. We are delighted, everyone, to see one another and welcome each other back to this holy place of friendship and art, music, and learning. And we are back. We're back to shine our light on the dark places of terror and destruction in the world, as well as the wonderful places of discovery, insight, and growth that is the heart of the East Shore Church. May it be joyously so. Amen. And welcome home.